0: Thank you, Kendi, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. I'm glad we could be together. This is the third in a four-part series entitled What Disciples Do, and by way of review, for those who haven't been able to be with us the whole time, uh, what we've seen so far is disciples gather, just as we're doing now. Disciples grow, and that requires uh, learning together in small groups and weaving our lives together like trees, as we saw last week. And this morning, uh, we see this Disciples Go. So we'll take a moment, we'll pray together, and then we'll look at the scripture. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather today within these walls as uh, people of hope in a world increasingly characterized by fear uh, and isolation and loneliness, uncertainty. Our prayer, Father, is that you would equip us now to be people of hope indeed, Father, and that we would see ourselves as such in our city, in our neighborhoods, around our supper table, in our places of work, in our world. Thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A great read in 2017, for me anyway, was a book called The 3D Gospel, the thesis of which is that the gospel is articulated differently in different parts of the world. And it is actually true. Uh, And if if you look around, you see there's kind of three different ways the gospel is articulated as movement. In the West, that's us the gospel is usually articulated as a movement from guilt to innocence. And we see it all the time, right? This is the book of Romans. This is the bridge drawing, as some of you have seen before, where there's, you're here, God is here, there's a cross across the middle. The cross is the way to God, as we move from guilt to innocence. In the East, often the gospel isn't articulated in guilt and innocence as much as it's articulated as a movement from shame to honor, In other words, we have failed, and by virtue of our failure, we've let down our community. But we can move out of failure into a status of honor by virtue of Christ. Third, in much of the developing world, where animism uh, held sway for thousands and thousands of years, the gospel is often articulated as a movement from fear to power. You fear darkness. You fear the unknown. You fear uh, the creatures that are out there. You fear angering the gods. You don't need to move from, you don't need to live in fear. You have the power of the indwelling Christ within you. And so three different ways the gospel is articulated, all legitimate, the thesis of the book was, we need to learn how to be conversant in all three movements, particularly in a pluralistic society. Now, this morning, though 3D is great, I want to offer a fourth movement that the book missed, right? And and so the fourth movement that I'm going to articulate this morning is God is calling us as well to move from status quo to adventure. The the gospel is a movement from status quo to adventure, and I think that this is an important way to articulate the gospel for many people, but particularly for millennials, that group that is like the 18 to 30-year-olds. Could any of you raise your hand if you're in that demographic this morning? So there's a few of you in the room that are kind of in that 18 to 30-year-old category, and like endless studies have been done of that demographic regarding why millennials are leaving the church. And so if you really want to know why, the best thing to do is talk to millennials, not read books. However, the authors of the books did talk to people in that age demographic. And there are many reasons, but one of the reasons is this. Someone said, this is one one, uh, young woman's conclusion, she said... Uh, Christianity, from the time I can remember when I was a child, always came across to me as an institution whose intent was nothing more than preserving the status quo. Do you hear that? An institution whose intent was nothing more than preserving the status quo. In other words, she says, Christianity is boring. So why do people leave the church? Because it's boring. And, and if all we do is gather in our, in our huddle to preserve something, this is wrong. That's like uh, uh, the Seahawks going out today and saying, "We will not lose." That's the goal is not to not lose. The goal is to win. Does this make sense? And similarly, the goal is never to preserve the status quo. The goal actually is to go, as this text read for us, and and in our going, there will always be adventure. Daniel eleven thirty two. In the Living Bible, that, that, that Bible's dead, by the way, but the Living Bible, which was, like, popular for decades, in the Living Bible, Daniel 11.32, uh, the translation says this, the people who know their God will be strong and have adventures. Now, literally, uh, the word was the people will know their God," uh, who know their God will be strong and do exploits. But I love this translation of have adventure, and the reason I love it isn't because it's necessarily the most literally true, but because it captures what I see in the scriptures. Over and over and over again, God is calling people to obedience, and when we respond in obedience to God's voice, we we move. And in our moving, we move out of familiarity into uncertainty over and over and again. And so when I move into uncertainty, what I'm moving into in my uncertainty is I'm moving into adventure. So God says to Abraham, go. I'm sending you to land. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Just follow me. Go. Go. I'll lead you every step of the way. God says to Moses, go back to Egypt, lead people out of Egypt, and then once you're in the wilderness, I'll lead you day by day, fire by night, cloud by day. You won't know when you'll get there. You don't know how long it'll take. You don't know where you'll go. You don't know what will uh, will await you along the way. Just go and enjoy the adventure of casting your future entirely in the hands of God. It is an adventure because you literally don't know what tomorrow will hold. God says to David, Go, confront Goliath. He ends up killing Goliath. God says to Daniel, Go in Babylon and be a blessing among the Babylonians. It'll it'll take you to the lion's den, but go, right? God says uh, uh, to Peter, through Jesus, hey, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You don't know what will happen. And along the way, Peter encounters many situations where he feels, A, frustrated, B, out of control, uh, C, kind of flummoxed, if, if you know what I mean by that, like he's just confused. But this is the adventure of following Christ. Go, go, go. What does God say to Paul? Go, leave Jerusalem. I'm saying you far away to the Gentiles. Over and over again adventure is predicated on movement right and so when we go new relationships new things learned about god's character new dimensions of the gospel discovered that we would never have learned had we not responded to the word go it happens over and over and over again in the bible needs to happen to you and me why we're called to go so the context of luke chapter 10 jesus is preparing his followers to, after his resurrection, be the church. And what it means to be the church, ecclesia, a group called out. We're called out. Called out of the world to be this kind of going people. So the prototype of that is this 70 people that are sent out in Luke 10, and and we learn what it means to be people who go by discovering three principles in this text and some correlating texts, what does it mean to be a goer as a disciple? Disciples are, are called to gather, grow, and go. What does it mean to be a goer? Here's the first thing we see: first observation, first principle. Every Christ follower is sent on a mission. Every one of us is sent on a mission. Now, I grew up uh, in the in the, in a church where missions was the purview of a kind of a subset of the larger church. Does that make sense? When I was a kid, we had a, a kind of a missions movement in our church. We had a missions Sunday, we had a missions week, and what missions meant to me as a child growing up was there were certain people who left the familiarity of their culture and went to a different culture, and those were the people on mission, and the rest of us, we prayed for them, we supported them, but we weren't on mission. They went, we didn't, right? Now, uh, when Jesus speaks in Matthew 28, uh, he's speaking to disciples, in what's called, it's come to be called the Great Commission, right? And when Jesus speaks to disciples, he's speaking not just to uh, the 12, but to all, for all time, who would call themselves disciples, and who was in that group? All was in the room, right? And, and so when Jesus speaks to disciples in Matthew 28, what he says there applies to all of us, and what does Jesus say? Here's his words literally. Go into all the world and make disciples. So what do disciples do? Disciples make disciples. How do disciples make disciples? They make disciples in their going. And literally, the translation of Matthew 28 isn't go. The literal translation is, in your going, make disciples. In other words, what's important in the sense is what you ought to be doing when you're going. But hear me, it's assumed that you'll go. It's assumed. So everyone is called to go. Why? Because one of the things we've seen over these past two weeks is that if we're in Christ, then Christ lives in us, right? Every one of us in the room. And if Christ lives in us, then every one of us in the room are called to be the presence of Christ, where? In the world. And so I can only be the presence of Christ in the world if I, what, go into the world. I don't have to leave the country. I may but I don't have to. Wherever I go, I'm called in my going to be the presence of Christ. But understand this, if I embrace this participle, going, right, as part of my identity and I see myself as a sent one, then I will be open to God pushing me out of my comfort zone and going into new relationships, new contexts, new geographies, new hospitality. I'll become a different person Because I'll go where I would not otherwise have gone had I not been sensitive to the Holy Spirit and allowed Christ to send me. So one of the ways in which we reflect Christ's character will be in our going. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus went over and over and over again. So what do we do? Well, we'll go next door. We'll love our neighbor. We'll go across social divides. We'll become part of God's reconciling story in the world. We'll go to be with the poor, go to be with the sick, go to be with the persecuted, go to be with the elderly, go to be with the marginalized. We'll stand in the gap as a voice of justice in an unjust world. We'll be the presence of healing, presence of hope, presence of hospitality, presence of forgiveness. We'll invite people to the empowerment found in Christ. We're going to go in this room, we're going to go in many different ways, but whether we're going to work with a new mindset or whether we're uh, inviting our neighbors over for a meal... Or whether we're moving to Thailand, all of us are called to go. And and so before we move on, let me just unpack that and reiterate a couple of important things. Again, I'll say it, everyone's called to go. And and what what that means is that none of us can say, uh, other people go, but I don't. And hopefully this changes our mindset. Uh, You may have questions at the moment. Well, look, I live here. I'm not going anywhere. That doesn't mean you're not called to go. I'll get to that. Just understand, for the moment here, all of us are called to go, and this is why. Because uh, going isn't necessarily massively geographical. Going is a mindset. Does Does this make sense to you? It's a mindset of availability, right? And in this mindset of availability, where I'm now open to the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing me wherever the Holy Spirit wants to send me, that mindset of availability will lead me into places I would never otherwise have gone. I have never had an ambition to go to India. I went. And it was only a mindset of availability, right, where one of, one of the torture schools called me and said, hey, they need you in India. And I said, oh, somebody send somebody else. I don't, you know, whatever, I'm not going. No, you need to go. I said, I don't have a visa. You know this story. And, and they said, well... I'll get you a visa. I said, we have 48 hours. I said, okay, if you get a visa in 48 hours, I'll go. And I got a visa in 48 hours. So I went, and, and then you kind of know, it's time to go. I guess we go. So Do you understand? Mindset of availability. John Fang and his family moved because of that mindset to Bangkok, part of our community here, teaching now at an international school in Bangkok. It's great. Mark Newell, who spoke in chapel last week for our staff, he quits a successful tech position to start a mentoring ministry in the central district. That's going. Moving from the Bay Area to Seattle, working at Amazon, having a vision to be the Prince of Christ at Amazon. That's going. Skipley, successful Seattle attorney, living in the suburbs, decides to move back into the city so that he can ministry to college students. That's going. A couple deciding to invite their neighbors over on a regular basis. That's going. A man deciding to start a a lunchtime Bible study uh, at work, that's going. A student starting a dorm Bible study, that's going. A student just having friends over in the dorm, that's going. Serving the community meal, that's going. Being the presence of Christ in the shelter, that's going. Teaching Sunday school, that's going. Helping in Sunday school, that's going. Everyone's called to go. And then here's the next thing to see. If we're all called to go, we should see in our going... Each one of us have unique contributions to make. In other words, in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10, we're told this. We, who know Christ, it says, we are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works that God has called us to do. So every one of us is God's workmanship. And the word for workmanship here is, uh, each one of us are a uniquely handcrafted creation. Uniquely, and I love that. Because it tells me that every one of us is unlike anyone else. Uh, my daughter, who lives in Germany, went to a, a, a pottery fair this, last, this weekend in Germany. She lives in the southwest where there's a lot of clay in the soil. So it's a pottery town. This little town she lives in, which is, by the way, like the Shire. It's just this amazing, beautiful pastoral, gorgeous little place in the world. And there's a lot of people who do pottery in this in this town. And so at the pottery fair, they go every year. And we Skyped yesterday and so my daughter Chrissy's showing me all these different all these different things that they bought. You know, you can buy a tiny little, you know, you can buy a shot thing if you want, a little shot glass if you're inclined to schnapps or something like that. Or you can buy, you know, a coffee mug or a tea mug or a big beer stein or uh, you know, a little oil lamp thing that you can put on your on your dining room table. Every single one, unique, right? And this is this captures the intent of Ephesians two. Every one of us in the room have a unique contribution to make in the world. So, he just ask the question: What if you believed that? What if you believed that you could be the presence of Christ in the sphere where God has placed you in a way that no one else could? Would that change the way you? order your world and the way you look at yourself? Like, I'm, what if you saw you are the presence of Christ? What if you believe when you walk into a room, nothing less than Jesus is walking in the room because the risen Jesus lives in you and desires to express his life through you? What if you actually embrace that calling? One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Colossians 3 verses 9 through 14 because three times in that little passage, uh, the, the phrase is used and it's an exhortation, put on, We're told to put on Christ. And then specifically, uh, this is unpacked this way. We're told to put on the new self. In other words, you have this new identity. Put it on. Well, you know, wait a minute. I already have it. Yes, but significantly, we're told to put it on. Why? Because we forget that we have it. So we put it on. Put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of love. Put on a heart of patience. We're invited to put that on daily. So, so when I put Christ on in the morning, what it does, at least for me, is it gives me an entirely different lens through which to see the world. Some of you know in our neighborhood where I live, uh, some of our neighbors walk together every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. Now, as that, particularly as the days get um, shorter and it's dark at 7 a.m., I'm remarkably less motivated to walk at 7 a.m., you know, in November, than I am in June. But I still walk. And I'm not saying, I don't say this to boast, but here's why I walk. Uh, When I get up in the morning, and I have my little coffee, my little time with God, I remember every time, I am the presence of Christ for my neighbors. That's That's why I walk. Now, that sounds a little too hierarchical, like I'm there to you know dish out blessings and it's a big sacrifice. <laughs> well, here's here's me being you know authentic with you. It is a sacrifice on the front end. I'm like, I should go. And then I go and I always receive more than I give. I'm all I've never effed, not once have I regretted going. Not one time. But I what motivates me, oh yeah. I'm called to be the presence of Christ. So let's go out the door. That's my calling, to be with my neighbors, right? This gets me into conversations on trains when I travel, particularly trains, but also airplanes when I travel. Often, I end up in conversations, not because I'm an extrovert, I'm not, but because uh, there's this sense of, What does it mean to be the presence of Jesus for this person? I may be the only encounter they have with Christ today. I want to be the presence of Christ. So I'm going to go. And then often when I'm out hiking uh, or climbing or skiing or whatever, I have the chance to be the presence of Christ in that setting as well. And so my time isn't my own and your time isn't your own. We're called to a posture of availability. Does this make sense? Often uh, my Fridays are kind of my Sabbath day, and it's kind of solitude, basically a solitude day for me often. So I hike alone, I ski alone or whatever for a few hours, and I, and I find that restorative. But many, many times when I think I'm going to be alone, I end up not being alone. I, one day, I'll never forget, I was skiing, and I, and I ski down the hill, and I get on the lift, and a guy gets on the lift, and he looks over to me, and he says, Richard! I said, hi. He goes, I go to Bethany. Good. <laughs> and then this is what he said. He said, uh, I prayed this morning that I'd talk to you today. And God sent, God sent me. And we skied the rest of the day together because he was in the midst of a crisis. He, now, he could never have made an appointment. He wouldn't have got in. <laughs> but you could pray and ski, see what happens. <laughs> right? And then just this last Friday, I I was telling these guys over here, I was exploring a route trying to get up to the base of Chair Peak near where I live. So I'm up on this big rock field, and then I look down, and there's four girls, and they've gone off the trail, and and they started to climb higher, and then they were terrified to go down. So they were stuck there. And I just happened to be coming over. And they called up, Can you help us? (laughs) Mm, I go down. And then three of them could move, but one was paralyzed with fear. Right? So I'm guiding him back to the trail, you know. And this one girl just won't move. And so I'm walking with her, literally every step. And she's holding a rock, and she's holding my hand, and she's crying. And like a half hour later... She's on the trail. And then she says, Did God send you today? And I said, As a matter of fact, he did. (laughs) Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Is it kind of fun to view yourself as a sent one? And recognize, I don't care if you're at Starbucks or in the oncology ward or with your neighbors. Or in in an avalanche debris field because someone's just gotten buried and you've been invited to come along and look for the body, you're nothing less than the presence of Christ. When we begin to see ourselves that way, I'm telling you, life's an adventure. So, like Christ, though, we're called to go in a posture of vulnerability. Uh, he, He says, Look, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You know what that means? That means that when you go into your day, you've given up on the illusion that you're in control of that day. You don't know what's going to happen on that day. You don't know who you're going to encounter. And so he's saying, look, uh, remember, your calling is nothing less than the presence of Christ, so go be the presence of Christ. Now let me move on here to the second critical principle. In our going, what are we to do? Well, the mission is to bless other people unconditionally. So, again, in Luke chapter 10, uh, it says, I'm going to read a couple of verses there, but it, in, in, uh, in verse 5 of Luke 10, it says, uh, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be in this house. And then skip down look at verses 8 and 9 just for a minute. Whatever city you enter, if they receive you, eat what is said before you. Heal those who are in it, who are sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So he's, he's uh, simply talking about going and offering peace and, and, and healing. And if we could kind of fly a little bit higher above the text and correlate with other texts, we see that when Jesus sends us, he sends us as the presence of Christ. And so if we're sent as the, uh, as the presence of Christ, Christ healed, we heal. Christ forgave, we forgive. Christ moved people toward freedom. We move people toward freedom. Christ talked about the reality that a day is coming when God's reign will be uncontested on this earth, when every tear will be dried, every disease healed, death conquered. Go, declare the same thing. Why? You are the presence of Christ. So here's Jesus, always breaking down walls. So you break down walls. Jesus blesses people and he heals people, re- watch this, regardless of whether or not they ever believe. I mean, Jesus forgave the people who were accusing him on the cross, like, and he preemptively forgave them. They weren't confessing their sin. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus blesses unconditionally. He saves the woman caught in adultery who, according to Levitical law, could have been executed. And so he stands in the gap, advocates for her, saves her from death. And sends her away, and he says, go and sin no more. He invites himself to eat with this hated tax collector named Zacchaeus. He breaks down dividing walls. He had a reputation of spending time with sinners. He breaks down dividing walls. The best illustration of this is a Samaritan woman who was in three different ways untouchable for Jesus. He's a man. She's a woman. He's a Jew. She's a Gentile. He's a a holy man. She's a sinner. And so for three reasons, he, he cannot talk to her. And what does he do? If you read John 4, you read that he literally goes out of his way geographically to be with her so that he can engage her in conversation and he'd send his disciples away so that he can be engaged in her in a conversation one-on-one. And then she goes back to her town and she says, hey, come and meet a man who told me everything about who I am. I think it's the Messiah. Wow, you know what Jesus was good at? Being the presence of Jesus. (laughs) Don't you love that? So it becomes kind of prototypical for us. But now if Jesus could enter into a relationship that according to all conventional wisdom should be a wall and smash the wall, go in Jesus' name, do the same. Amen or something? This is like that October 2 thing that we have coming up, reconciliation. Reconciliation. We're called to break down walls. And of course in Jeremiah 29 verse 7, the way this is articulated, is Jeremiah saying to the the nation of Israel who is now in exile in Babylon, he says, hey, listen, you're in Babylon, but this is what I'm telling you. Even though you don't want to be there, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. So watch, this is very applicable for all of us in the room. Because all of in the room are here in this city. This is where you're sent. Some of you are sent as a college student. You're here for a year or two or four. Some of you have been here for generations. Uh, some are brand new because our community and city and economy is expanding. And you don't know if you're going to be here for a year or two or ten. Some of you love it here. You love the Seahawks. You love the rain, you love the mountains, you love the sailing. So you hate it here. You're 49er fans. You 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 you, you like California. You hate the rain. You love the sun. It doesn't matter. Hear me. You're sent here. So pray for the welfare of the place that God has sent you. And not just pray for the welfare, work for the welfare of the place where God has sent you. Oh, really, work for, like what does that look like? Well, there's a school right across the street and we partner with Bagley to invest in students. There's a school in the Central District, Martin Luther King. We partner with them to invest in students too. There's a church down there, Holly Park Community Church, African American church. We partner with them. Get involved in our partnerships. There's women living on the streets. We have a shelter. Serve in our shelter. There's people in need of both food and companionship. Serve in our community meal. There's children in need of your presence so that a new generation can grow up understanding what the kingdom of God looks like. Get involved in teaching or helping out in Sunday school. You're sent. Work for the welfare of the city in which God has sent you. And what city is that? Seattle. It's a great city. So enjoy it, and don't worry about what it isn't. If you're politically conservative, it's liberal, get on with it. You're still here. If you're a tea drinker, get on with it. It's coffee town. (laughs) This is where we are. It's okay. So the adventure of going has already begun for all of us. Why? Because we've been sent here. (laughs) That's the way it is. So we need to get on with it and find ways to serve and bless right here where we are. I live at the pass, as you know now, half the week and half the week I live down here. I have dual citizenship, city and mountains. And when I'm down here, uh, and I have appointments up on Finney Ridge, I still always drive up to Finney Ridge past my old house. And it's not necessarily nostalgia for my my old house, though it's fun to see. It's that I know my neighbors. And we grew up together for 20 years on that street. So every time I drive by, I'm hopeful that one of my neighbors will be outside. I don't go knocking and stalking. But I'm always hopeful that there will be a neighbor. And there often is a neighbor outside. And whenever there's a neighbor outside, I'm able to park the car, get out, catch up, hug, chat, It's beautiful. My daughter and I were at breakfast on Wednesday morning up on Finney Ridge at Pete's Egg Nest, my favorite place to eat breakfast. And when we came down the hill, uh, we went past my house and here's my neighbor. So I parked the car, get out. We hug each other. 20 minutes later, we're still chatting about our kids, about our life, about... He's been living on a... Whatever. You don't need to hear. It's all good. And I wish I could say to you, so I pulled out a tract and I shared and he prayed and began to weep and receive Christ, and I can't say that. But I can say this, and I believe it. Jesus didn't call me to save anyone ever, you either. Jesus saves. You're called to be the presence of Christ and invite people into a story of hope that God is writing in the world. And this is what this text says. Some people are going to receive it, some aren't. Don't worry about it. Keep loving, keep giving, keep serving, regardless of response. See yourself, see yourself as the presence of Christ. Practically for me, uh, I apply that Colossians 3 passage of putting on Christ every morning. and It's become like a routine for me in the shower, literally, right? I'm in the shower and, uh, you know, when I'm soaping up, as I rinse off, I'm like confessing my sins. And I'm like, there they go, down the drain. New day. God's mercy is new every morning. And then I pray, I pray for each of my children. And there's six now because I have three and they're all married. And then literally, when I get out of the shower and I put my clothes on, I, I, I go... Thank you that I'm invited to put on your life, Jesus. And then I, I, I'm just telling you, I walk into the world with a different mindset. And hear me. I don't feel like Jesus. Is there a gap between Jesus and me? A big one, right? So I don't feel like Jesus, and I don't always you know, want my calling. But my calling isn't because I'm a pastor. My calling and your calling are the same. All of us are called to put on Christ and go into the world and see ourselves as the presence of Jesus. To the barista, to your neighbor, to your coworkers, to your subordinates, to your managers, to your friends, to your enemies, to people of a different race, everyone, you're the presence of Christ. So put on Christ and then the adventure begins. And then the last thing we see is this mission includes a proclamation that God's kingdom has come near. Uh, In the last three verses of this passage that was read, Luke 10 verses 9 through 11, twice this phrase appears, the kingdom of God has come near. And it's in the aorist tense, which means that Jesus is telling them that when they go, they're bringing the presence of God's reign, and when they leave, what they brought in some sense still remains. Does this, I hope you see this. So it's not just a matter of seeing yourself as I was present with someone and then I'm gone and it's as if it never happened. Listen, every time you go and you have the privilege of being in the presence of Christ and in the life of another, have this confidence. The kingdom of God has come near to that person. Now you're leaving, but you've sown the seed. So there's a sense in which all of us in the room are my favorite hero from my childhood, Johnny Appleseed. Do you guys know that story? I used to listen to the, like the record of the Johnny Appleseed story when I had the flu. It was this marvelous story of this kind of mythical, kind of historical figure who, you know, walked around with bags of Appleseeds and just sowed the seed everywhere. And the beauty of the story is this. Johnny Elsey would sow the seed, and then he would go on. He didn't need to see the seed. He didn't need to see it. He could sow and leave. Sow and leave. And I would listen to that, and I would think, man, what a great life, right? Just to go and sow. Go and sow. I love that. And I find in my own life that... Uh, I can have this confidence through the lens of the gospel to say, the kingdom of God has come near to you because I've been there. That's not arrogance. That's the Bible. Do you understand? That you are the presence of God's reign. And you leave, but seeds, seeds have been sown over and over again. And for me, this becomes a grand, grand adventure, right? We, see this, we sow the seeds We let the seeds do what the seeds will do. And we don't have to see the fruit. But when we see the fruit, it's a joy. But we can know that our calling isn't to see the fruit. Our calling is just to sow the seed. And so Jesus says, some people will receive the seed. Other other people will throw the seed back in your face. Don't worry. Just keep sowing. That's the gospel message. Uh, When I... uh, was in Austria a few years ago. Uh, I was at a little church with some friends, German-speaking church, and uh, the service ends. This young man comes, this is in Vienna, this young man comes up to me. Richard! <laughs> I don't know who this guy is. He says, don't you remember me? And I said, Hon- honestly, no. This was in 2005 or something. He said, you taught me in 1990 in Canada. Oh, good to know. <laughs> but then he said, he said, listen, uh, your thing on Genesis and marriage. He said, I took notes. And then uh, later I got married. And then he said, listen, later our marriage hanging by thread. I went back and looked at your notes. I'm happily married now. God's restored our marriage. I'll tell you what, that made my day, right? I didn't have to hear it. It was a gift. But it was more than a gift, it was a reminder. It was a reminder. If I sow faithfully, hey, the results are in God's hands, but hear me, there will be results. How do I know? That's what Jesus said in this text. He said, Hey, the harvest is plentiful. There's a half a million people within five miles of us eager to hear the gospel. The harvest is plentiful. Problem isn't that. That's what we'd like to think. Everybody's hard hearted, secular, humanists, Democrats. (laughs) The gospel. Oh yeah, they don't want it. Really? So-so. Get on with it. Be the presence of Christ. There's an adventure awaiting. And our tribalism and our fear and our walls mean we miss it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the adventure that awaits us as you call us to be the presence of Christ in this beautiful city. Broken city. Homelessness. Addiction, mess, racism, ethical anarchy in many ways. Beautiful. With people looking for meaning, would you mobilize us, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to be not only your presence, but to be verbal about you as the source? Speak to us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And as we close, I'm just going to invite you to come up and in these prayer books by way of response, maybe write a prayer or just share as a testimony where you're being sent. Where are you being sent? God's speaking to me about being the Prince of Christ at Amazon. God's speaking to me about being the Prince of Christ in the Sunday school room, being the Prince of Christ with my neighbors. Where are you being sent? And who would you like us to pray for particular who needs to hear the gospel so if you would share those in the prayer books we'd be blessed To i'd be blessed to read them and pray for you uh, let's worship together